0: Listening to the president, there you've got to you've got to concede that a chief executive delivering the State of the Union message is an impressive spectacle. I mean it really is. And um, with a TV set and listening to the sound here coming out of the wire, we had a couple of ch- monitors going on, watching the president and quick pans of the House of of, of Congress, you know the. Senators and the representatives and the cabinet members, and the must have been 100 trillion billion people listening to the speech. And I kept, of course, being a performer, uh, I, I, uh, I kept thinking of the performer. I'm not talking about how the speech is performed. After all, the man giving a speech before large numbers of people giving a talk is performing, no matter who he is. If you get up in front of the PTA and complain about the, uh, the pineapple upside down cake, uh, you're performing. You're either performing badly or performing well, depending on whether they really get mad and walk out on you. But uh, nevertheless, watching watching the president, I thought, you know, watching him because he's the 36th president. Now, there have been only 36 men in the entire history of the United States. And uh, there have been a lot of people who have uh, lived and walked around and scratched and, been in the United States since the very beginnings of the whole thing. But there's been only 36 people who have had that experience of uh, standing in front of the whole nation and <laughs> delivering an address about how the whole scene is going. That's an interesting concept. The state of the nation. Uh, you know, it's like a report. That's uh, like uh, every year uh, the ladies of the book club the uh, secretary treasurer gets up and goes, Well, last year, as you all know, we had a difficult year financially. And immediately, spoo boo, boo, boo. That will that will bah-bah-bah. Almost said it. Uh, boo. And boo uh, But here is a man standing up before the entire nation. And he's uh, the chief. And you may not like him. Well, you may like him. But he is the chief. We all know this, recognize this. The world knows it and recognizes it. And uh, watch every time I see a president or a major, I mean really major, I'm not talking about the mayor of New York or something, I'm talking about a major world political figure like Charles de Gaulle or uh, the late Winston Churchill or uh, the late, any, the, the presidents of the United States, uh, somebody, that's that's really heavy, caliber. That's that's the big time. That's that's all the way. You know, that's that's even bigger than old Johnny Carson. I mean, that's, that's really up there. And uh, every time I watch the president perform, any president, I always get this feeling, you know, he's a human being as well as a leader. It's easy to forget this because there are so many symbolic things surround kings and leaders and great uh, statesmen and one thing now that we tend to forget. That this is a guy who gets up in the morning and shaves, a man, and uh, that must be an interesting experience too to every morning shave the president of the United States. <laughs> you know, it really must be. And uh, I-, I watched the president listen to him, and as a performer, I thought to myself, what a fantastic Jack! Imagine what a fantastic feeling it would be. I, I think it's an unimaginable feeling because there's only 36 men that have ever known it in the history of the United States. Up, you're standing in the wings, and, and uh, you're just you're just trying to straighten your hair a little bit. Your hair's hanging down. You straighten it up a little bit. You're straightening your tie, and uh, you're in the wings. And uh, there's a kind of a hush out there. And suddenly you hear this voice, "Ladies and gentlemen, the President of the United States, the Honorable Charles W. Applerot." And here's Charlie. See old Charlie from the Warren G. Harding School, old Charlie who faked his way through spelling, old Charlie who phoned his way all the way through algebra, Charlie who was the first one cut when they fell out for football that spring freshman year, little old Charlie Apple now steps up to the podium and the assembled mic of the entire nation, 200 million strong, Wait to hear Charlie's words. Every word. Hello, Americans. Uh, And then that feeling deep down inside. Now, you you must get this now. uh, There has to be that split uh, in the man who is the president. Because, you know, see, he himself grew up all of his life. Watching presidents, you know, when you're a little kid, when you're when you're two, you don't think of yourself as going to be president. I don't. No matter how much uh, hogwash is written about this kind of stuff later, when they, you know, when the when the biographies are written that from the very earliest days, little Clarence uh, was reciting the Gettysburg Address, and you know, forget it. Uh, uh, he he is now president. It must there must be a sense of unreality about it. That is, uh, no, I, I'm certain, no matter who the president is, because he is both man and symbol simultaneously. Now, uh, not many people have walked around and been a symbol. Now, that's not, no, I'm, I'm seriously speaking here, a genuine, uh, n- this side of the presidency or this side of leadership is rarely discussed. Uh, you hear people constantly yelling about that, and that's one of the reasons why there is always profound distrust I believe uh, it with every leader. as long as I can remember from the time I was a little kid, there were always two schools of thought about whatever president was in. One school of thought was that he was a good president and the other school of thought that phony what do you mean You're really out of your mind <laughs> it, no matter what president it is it's hard to, it's hard to remember that. Uh, that certainly was uh, prevalent during the days of the late President Kennedy. Even though we have a tendency now to forget the anti Kennedy stuff that was very prevalent during the time, it certainly was prevalent during Eisenhower's administration. In fact, uh, I'd say a half dozen comics built their entire act on being anti Eisenhower, <laughs> whatever happened to Mort Saul. And uh, what was the other guy that built his entire act on Kennedy? Vaughn Meter. I mean, Vaughn Meter's is probably back with the SO people now, or wherever it is that he sprang from. And so these these uh, these people are, are symbolic of that general feeling that always goes along with the suspicion of the symbol, because symbols are in a, in a sense related to another side of man. It's related to the. To the, uh, I suppose you might say, the the side of man that constantly creates various symbolic images. Uh, in, I suppose you might say, the religious sense, uh, because after all, almost all religions are based on symbolic uh, beings, uh, symbolic forces. Uh, you go all the way back to the early Greeks, and you have the you have the the symbolic god of the sea and the symbolic god of the fire and so on down the line. And and we, we still do this. Uh, we, we we create these things. And so we believe that the symbol, since it is a symbol, must be infallible. And this is where the, the great split comes, where you have the symbol on the one hand, which is uh, uh, the symbol of the all-knowing. We like to give superhuman insight to the presidents. Somehow we like to feel that, that uh, a general uh, he, if, if you're if you're in the armed forces, a general has a uh, he has a much larger view of life, and knowledge of things than say if you're a corporal, t T5. On the other hand, you are, you still recognize the man, and so you see the general walking by, and you notice he's about 40 pounds overweight, and he's got high blood pressure, and uh, he drinks, and so there is a profound dissatisfaction and suspicion that settles in. <laughs> it's like you've been had. Uh, and so this is a constant problem, uh, back and forth. And as it, goes, it, it has ramifications in, uh, in uh, theological areas, too. And uh, so uh, the president, as a man, must have problems in that department, too. Can you imagine, though, after all of your life you've heard of presidents, and uh, we've it, president uh, like all things in any given nation, there is a a kind of a a culture structure in any nation in any tribe that exists. It always is there. There's always a leader. Uh, there's always uh, symbolic people like the healer. Uh, you find in the in the in the headhunter tribes, there is the healer, and he is the the medicine man. We have our our healers, the doctors over here. And by the way, we have a tendency to to. Uh, to give them symbolic, almost uh, theological uh, overtones too. Doctors are somehow godheads, and uh, and you you find you find that the man who is in the position often has a lot of problems within within himself because he's lived in this atmosphere. Is this boring you? By the way, uh, to me, I've often thought about that. He's li- and I've heard it, nobody ever talk about it. He's lived in this atmosphere just like you have and I have. Now he may. Have come out of uh, like uh, Kennedy was uh, sort of a uh, an amateur uh, m- interscholastic uh, second rate athlete at Harvard, and uh, you know just one of the guys. He dated ch- girls and one thing or another, and uh, he he uh, suddenly found himself through a whole series of circumstances, which at the time earlier when you're 18 or 19 years old you could never predict. Uh, he suddenly found himself president. Uh, President Johnson, uh, in his early days, was a school teacher. He probably would have thought, uh, he <laughs> seriously would have probably thought you were out of your mind if you had ever suggested that one day he would be president. Uh, this goes all the way down the line. Practically every president, I'm sure, never never conceived himself as president at the time when he was just growing up. And he was looking up at these great figures, like all the rest of us. And one day, through a whole series of Little things, all things fell into shape, and little forms fell into position, and keys clicked, and locks snapped, and combinations rolled, and, and uh, die, dice rattled across fantastic tables of faith, and uh, little lightning bolts, this and that. The next thing you know, here he is. I mean, here, he's up there. Well, that must be a fantastic feeling. To say, all of my life, there has been this thing, this great, symbolic, all-knowing, all-wise, all-powerful figure called the president. It's me. Ain't nobody above. You look up, and there's nothing but sky above you. <laughs> then what? Well, whew, uh, then you probably know something, and I suspect that any man who's ever been in a position of that kind, and I'm not talking about somebody who runs a little company or anything like that, I'm talking about anybody who's ever been in a position of that kind forever knows something that all the other people can only suspect. He knows something forever. And that's why I I suspect that that great past leaders, I mean, once he steps down and uh, becomes emeritus, they all have a vaguely cynical twinkle in the eye. You know, like, well, the blind leading the blind. (laughs) And I'm not making any comment one way or the other on any leader, but uh, they know their own mortality. And we have a tendency to demand immortality or superhuman powers from our leaders. We do. We don't like the way they talk. We don't like their accent. More people will complain about the president's accent than about anything he ever says. And it's always been this way. And so, ultimately, I've, I've uh, wondered about uh, some mornings when, uh, when let's say, uh, President Truman gets up in the morning. Uh, you know, they there aren't 49 million people waiting every minute to see what he's going to say any longer. And he gets up, he looks out. It's raining a little bit. He's old Harry. Uh, he's free to swear anytime he wants now. <laughs> it, it doesn't make headlines. And, the, Pres- uh, the Presbyterian Church doesn't threaten immediate earthquakes throughout Ohio because he said hell. And uh, he looks out over the, over the, over the landscape, <laughs> and he is, and, and I probably I suspect that, that a guy like Truman would be one of the people, and I'm sure he is, that has that, uh, that twinkle, that, 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 uh, that knowing feeling in the eye uh, about this whole business of, of great leadership. Uh, I, I can't even remember, I don't think any of you can either. You know, it's funny that whenever you suggest a thing like this, everybody thinks you're making some kind of a partisan speech. But I'm talking about the, 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 the phenomena of the leader, whether he's the leader of France or Belgium or Holland or America. But uh, I can never recall in my days ever uh, knowing or hearing of a president who wasn't uh, on all sides... Uh, around me, attacked by thousands of people as being this idiot, this phony in the White House, <laughs> and it's always that way. It's a, it's a fact, and uh, I suppose that people always consider the man that they wanted in as the non-phony, and the one that did get in as the phony. It'll always be that way. Speaking of that, that's this is W O R by the way, it just fits nice. Uh, you know, it's a, it's a word association. Uh, This is W.O.R. in Fun City here, friends. This is a radio-free Broadway. This is a... a, Would you please hit the money button there? Hit it there. (laughs) People on the go Friends, do you like things right? Well, then, <laughs> that's an opening line. Then Miller High Life is your beer, friend. It'll make everything right. you get a smooth full of Miller High Life, and a lot of things that look rotten now are going to look great. That's Miller High Life, the champagne of the bottled beer. It's just right. On the go, more than ever seems <laughs> to know, Miller makes it right. Miller uh, right. Yeah, 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 yeah. You can see I ain't going to be president. Anybody that talks like... Let's see, we have a moment here, speaking of uh, passing through the great parade. Let's see, here's a note. uh, Hey, listen, uh, if you'd like a really great food experience, I I mentioned this last night or the night before, and I I must repeat it again. Starting the 30th of this month, and you listen, because this is really special, Mandarin House and Mandarin East... Uh, For those of you who've never eaten in Mandarin House or Mandarin East, these are two of the finest northern Chinese restaurants in America. They're great. One of them down is, I had lunch there today uh, in Mandarin House down on 13th Street. And Mandarin East is up on 2nd Avenue, right off 57th Street. Well, anyway, starting the 30th, these two restaurants are celebrating the Chinese New Year. And uh, that means fantastic food. If you've never had a symbolic Chinese New Year's feast, then you've got a treat coming. That's ten courses, and this is Mandarin style. And this is your chance to really make it all the way. And, uh, by the way, each menu is different every year. It's, uh, it's changed from year to year, according to an old traditional system of menus relating to various... This is the year of the rat, or it's the monkey. The year of the monkey. Speaking of monkey, did I ever tell you about the time that I had monkey in Peru? Boy, that has nothing to do with the Chinese New Year, though. <laughs> so if you... Uh, it's quite complicated. It takes a long time to fix this, this uh, meal up. It's a 10-course Mandarin feast, and they have a uh, winter melon soup, a Peking duck, uh, sautéed shrimp spiced with ginger, and it takes a long time to prepare these dishes, particularly, by the way, winter melon soup if you've ever had it. So they have to know in advance. And if you'd like to make the scene, uh, they take parties of eight or more can enjoy this banquet any time from January 30th through the 7th. Smaller parties, that's February 17th, rather, even couples can order this banquet. It's very special, only during this, this couple of weeks. You can order it Monday through Thursday only, and you must make the reservations one day at least in advance. And uh, it's just $10 a person, and believe me, this is a fantastic treat for 10 bucks. Uh, it's Mandarin House is in the village, 13th, between 6th and 7th, and Mandarin East is on 2nd, between 57th and 58th. And if some weekend you'd really like to tie one on, it's just, you know, for, for two $10 bills, it's fantastic. If you'd like to call for reservations, it's Mandarin House or Mandarin East. You can pick either restaurant, and it's the same number, though. Watkins 90551. Watkins 90551. Tell him Charlie Chan sent you. (laughs) You know, Charlie Chan, I remember that. Speaking of monkey, I don't want to get into that, though. That was one of the terrible traumatic experiences of my life. We have another commercial. I have no idea. What in the heck is this? Here's a commercial that says, an announcement that could not only change your career, but your whole life. Uh, (laughs) Well, that's uh, interesting. uh, Harry Lorraine. Is an amazing memory expert, a mental wizard. His books and well, his books and teaching. I like uh, I like simple statements of ego. He's a mental wizard, and uh, teaching devices. Of course, there's other kinds of wizards, you know, uh, other than the mental type. And uh, his teaching devices have sold over a million copies. He's uh, he's been on the Johnny Carson Show and the Alan Perch and all these other intellectual-type shows. And if you would like to be personally instructed by him in developing a fantastic, unbelievable, superpower memory, well, you call 989-5694. That's 989-5694, and they'll send you a booklet on how you can develop a superpower, fantastic, unbelievable, indescribable mental wizard memory. Why? I don't know why. As a matter of fact, I've known more guys that have gone down the drain because they do have a good memory. Every guy that I know who gets ahead is the guy who can remember last Wednesday's big sales meeting that turned out to be a bust. Uh, If you keep remembering it, you're in trouble. (laughs) Because that memory can get you more problems. (laughs) But if you'd like to develop a memory... On the other hand, it must be terrible for a guy who can't remember this morning. And there are many of those. So uh, you call 989-5694 and see what kind of a brochure he sends you. Which leads us to one other thing, another big announcement here. Uh, We are doing a big show that's been in in, uh, the works now for a couple of weeks, and there have been a lot of announcements in the Jersey papers about it. But it's for the benefit of the Raritan Valley Hospital. And all the money that is being collected for this show is going to buy a respirator for the hospital. Now, a respirator is for the intensive care unit. In fact, the doctors at the hospital were showing me pictures of this respirator. It's beautiful. It comes in a nice... You can get seven different decorator shades. It's very nice. And we're ordering an off-rose crackle finish. It's very, very nice. And it's for the intensive care unit. (laughs) But seriously, this is for Raritan Valley Hospital, and we're going to have this... uh, Intensive care uh, piece of equipment. It's a respirator. You know the thing that they always have on kill there that keeps going. Oh, 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 oh. You know the thing with the with the plastic bag and well, that's what we're going to get. It's kind of fun. Well, we may even try it out on the stage that night. If the show goes the way I'm afraid it may go, we may need it. However, uh, that's going to be <laughs> at Raritan Valley. And if you'd like to attend this thing, it's, it's, it, we're, we're going to really have a great... Because the entire audience is going to be filled with doctors and, you know, that whole scene. And it's going to be Friday, February 26th, if you live out in that area. Friday, February 26th at 8 o'clock, Middlesex High School. We're going to hold it in the auditorium in the high school there. But it's going to be held for the Raritan Valley Hospital. And that's out on Route 28 in Middlesex, New Jersey. Middlesex is that is that what all those guys are down there on Greenwich, huh? Oh, oh, I'm sorry. Yes, she didn't hear it, so she didn't know what I was saying there. But uh, uh, for ticket information, you call Raritan Valley Hospital. You call. Would I call that a breathe in? Though no, it's more of a gasp in. That's that's now. There's engineer humor. In. Herb says, would you call that a breathe in? <laughs> Oh, yeah, not bad. That's very good there. Very good. A breathing. Yeah. Very good. I suppose if, if you're giving a big benefit for uh, blood donors, you call it a gore in, something of that. Oh, that's awful. Ticket information. If you'd like to find out about it, call the hospital, Raritan Valley Hospital, and that's uh, area code 201, and you better get on a stick because uh, I understand the tickets are going fast. It's 201, and the number is 201-968-968. 6,000. Now write it down. That's area code 201 968-6,000. And the extension to ask for is 256. That's the ether room. There we <laughs> That's 201. I repeat again. The Ratton Valley High. Oh, the date again. For those of you, I, I already there are people come. what date did he say? I didn't hear my radio. is not working good. That's Friday, February 26, 8 p.m. Huh? Well, you've got it written Friday, January 26th. Isn't that what I said? I said February? Well, then let's repeat it. It's Friday, January 26th, 8 p.m. Okay? That's, uh, well, listen, this is only, this is the 17th, so that's next Friday, it's a week from Friday, thereabouts. So, okay? Now, uh, everybody feeling better now? (laughs) We found out if they're listening. Was that one of the doctors? That was Frank? All right. One of the doctors frantically called in and said, No, 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 you've been saying February. No, no, no. You're lucky I didn't say July. uh, Middlesex. Now, I wonder how they got that name. Does that have anything to do with that phenomenon on Lexington Avenue, Greenwich? Oh, no, no, no. I'm not putting it down. Sorry. Boo, boo, boo. All right. That put me in my place. But uh, thinking about that, and I I must get back to this. this, You know, there hasn't been really very much that I've read, and I've tried to find good material on it, on the psychology and the actual sensations of genuinely being a leader. And I'm interested in it. Uh, I've read a lot of books about presidents, and I've even read memoirs of presidents, but they never talk about that side of it. They always talk, and uh, if you've ever read any... Uh, some of the dullest stuff I read in my life was Eisenhower's stuff, and uh, you know he never talks about his personal emotions except to say perhaps uh, uh, I was deeply concerned when the note from the Uruguayan president reached my desk, uh, calling the Secretary of State. We quickly ascertained, and that kind of thing. It does not say. Holy smokes! When that message came in, I thought I'd die. It, was <laughs> I mean, it looked like the jig was up. Well, I. <laughs> Uh, I've thought about this, and of course I come to no conclusion. I will tell you this though, friends you you're listening to a man who did have one unbelievable nightmarish experience with an election. Now there aren't many of us who uh, who actually have the kind of guts to allow ourselves to be judged. You know, most of us go through li- our lives trying to be loved by people. Uh, we do. Uh, you know, I think one of the reasons why people envy or and are vaguely uh, afraid of and have all kinds of mixed emotions about people in showbiz, and that includes people who do radio shows, do shows down at the limelight, people who do the Johnny Carson show, one thing and another, is because every time they go on, they are literally asking and demanding to be judged. Now... Uh, and in and, and the cruelest sort of way. Now, like just a minute ago, I made one of my indescribable funnies. So I felt without any any almost without almost instant feedback without any hesitation, I felt a gigantic wave of boo, 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 boo boo, hiss, hiss, boo, blah, 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 it just came rolling back and uh well, I mean, what do you do in a case like that? Now, not many guys are actually outright booed in their job uh no, I, I, you know, here, here's, here's Charlie Witherspoon, you know. He's a second in command in the file department in the substation of the Allstate Insurance Company in White Plains. And uh, so Charlie misfiles the Watanabe file. Well, instantly the entire steno pool doesn't leap up and on. Boo! 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 Charlie's a bum! Oh, boo! Boo! His spoon! Fire him! Boo! Boo! Oh, no, no, no. I don't know, it's a little, you know, the little minimal comes down or somebody straightens it out. But when you lay an egg in showbiz, it's laying out there, and, you know, and you can hear it clucking, and, and <laughs> you light it, and that's the end of it. So well, what do you do? Well, now, uh, uh, the ultimate egg laying is to, is to make a run for the presidency. Now, we've seen several, uh, we've seen uh, a few examples in our time of guys who, who perennially run. Uh, these are these are guys who perennially get up at parties and tell tell the same bad joke. Now I happen to know one doctor who has told me the same joke. I, I've counted it now fourteen times. Well, now this is the equivalent of the the politician who fourteen consecutive years announces uh, eighteen months before the party convention that he is not interested in the nomination and that uh, he is perfectly content to be the president of the J.P.I.P. Correspondent School University, where he is very happy to be now, and uh, he's writing his memoirs, and that uh, in response to thousands of uh, queries, he is not interested and would would under no circumstances entertain the nomination. Well, here he is running. You know he's running. And, uh, <laughs> and the sad thing it is, of it all is is that, is that a, lot of, a lot of guys, in theory, are great. When they start running, the scales begin to fall from the eyes. We have one current candidate right now who looked a lot better a year ago than he looks now because he's begun to talk. Uh, one guy <laughs> who made a speech tonight, as a matter of fact, who was quoted, I'm not talking about the president, who sounded a little bit like my Aunt Min in his grasp of the complexities of uh, the nation in which we live. But uh, this, you know, this is all here today and here to tomorrow and come and gone. And I remember sometimes uh, I've often felt, of course, I think we, are all, we all vaguely suspect that men who rise to fantastic heights are driven by drums over which uh, they have no control and which we do not hear. The call we, we use that phrase all the time. The call to greatness. The call to duty. If the people need my services, uh, if, uh, if the population demands, I will only under those circumstances um, consent. Well, we have this feeling that there is a call. There is such a thing as a call. Well, you know, one, one candidate now, who is obviously a national-running candidate, uh, just a few years ago, was a sports announcer in a little Illinois radio station. (laughs) Well, and that's not putting down his background at all. But obviously, the call, suddenly uh, a lot of things began to fall right. And uh, it was a a strange place to get a call. And so these, you never can really, there's no way of predicting it. Right now, conceivably right now listening to me, right at this minute, it could conceivably be a kid uh, sitting in some university around here sticking a pencil in his ear chewing bubble gum and uh, kicking the uh, Captain Marvel comics under his desk as he's trying to fake his way through differential equations and listening to the radio right now and, so, and talking to his friends saying, hey Marty, listen to this idiot. What is this dribble this guy's talking about? Ha oh, 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 wow. Well, it's conceivable that twenty years from now, I'm liable to be voting for that slob. Now it is; it is very conceivable, <laughs> and that because we're living in, a, in an area, uh, this the, the far east, this eastern seaboard, where we're being heard right now, where a great preponderance of uh, many per, many national politicians have emerged from this area. So it is conceivable. There's a kid right now sitting out there eating a gigantic, uh, big boy triple deck hamburger. And Downing of Bond's awful, awful, awful. And uh, his skin is popping out. <laughs> and he's our future leader. And uh, they're all the more for it. But these things all happen quite often. In fact, almost every time they happen, they happen by chance. It is a series of... Stri- and you can't predict the chance. Now, I'm going to give you a little example of that. I happen to know one case. Talk about the chance. Uh, I know a guy who was a little PR man, a little public relations man, had no interest whatsoever in politics, a little public relations man. And uh, he was a pretty good one. And uh, he was kind of a suave-type PR man. And he had a little things like uh, oh, the movie preview that was showing in town, uh, an author that uh, wrote a book on how to paint cats on velvet, be in town, and he would take a, Take this author around to radio shows. You know, a little, what they call a real hack, a little PR man. And he was a nice, you know, young guy working away at his trade and honorably doing his job. But one day his boss called him and says, listen, we have a very unusual, very unusual account. And uh, uh, we there's a politician who uh, needs some PR work done in town and needs some interviews and so forth and uh, you've got all the radio contacts and all the TV contacts, so uh, would you like to take over his radio contact work for this day in New York? And he said, sure, okay. So he met the politician, no interest in politics at all, and this guy, by the way, was a nationally known politician, not just a local guy running for office. He was in office, and he was on his way to make a bid for the presidency, as it turned out, and uh, that was later, but he called him into his office and said, "The." Uh, Glad to meet your son. And uh, I uh, hear reports for the agency that you know, all the people on radio. And uh, we'll see you tomorrow morning at breakfast. And uh, then you can give me the list of things you'd like me to know. So he dismissed him. So the kid goes out and he makes a lot of uh, contacts, calls up, gets this guy booked on a lot of shows. And the next day he meets him, and they travel all around town. Well, by the end of the afternoon, the politician liked this guy. He really liked his personality. They got along great. And so the next day, he got a telephone call from this man saying, would you like to be on my staff? Well, here's a guy who's been going around plugging people who paint cats on velvet. So he said, "Uh, gee, uh, I don't know nothing about politics. He said, well, that's why I like you. And he said, okay, well... Within, within a year, this guy began to be quoted on national press wires. He began to be a national figure. Now he's a very important guy. Well, uh, again, you see, chance can work the other way. So they were galloping on their way. His man became very popular, and there was a great, tremendous upheaval of uh, popular support for this man. And uh, one day I saw my friend who was the PR man in town, and we were talking. He came back to New York one day and I met him we had lunch. you know where we had lunch I'll tell you we had lunch at the Times Square horn and hardart and, <laughs> and here's this guy' striped morning tries a whole bit now and and we're, we were talking and I said, well what what is you know what's what's your future I mean, what would happen if X got to be president?" He'd say, well, he said that we've talked about that many times and uh, he wants me to be his press secretary. Well, you probably know that the press secretary is one of the most important jobs in an administration. And he says, "If he become," I said, "You press secretary? You know, uh, Huntley uh, begging you for an interview, Brinkley calling you by your first name, Holy so Walter Cronkite saying hello to you. I mean, just like as if you were a real person." And then he says, "Yep. As a matter of fact." Well, uh, right in the middle of all that, his candidate had a heart attack and died. And that was the end of his whole. Uh, he just backed. now, no, he's backed down with the other fishes. And, but the point I'm making that had this was all accidental. He could have gone on, and uh, the next thing you know, this guy could have conceivably been a governor. As you know, several press secretaries have gone on into that division. Well, these you know the, the the business of actually putting yourself on the line for a, for an election. This is kind of a strange show tonight, isn't it? It is. <laughs> but the business of putting yourself on the line for an election is is one of the first things you have to overcome when you become a performer. You know, so many people want to be a performer. I get more letters from kids who say, uh, "Hey, Chef, I want to throw a show like yours." Well, uh, okay. So you want to hit three fifty? Uh, you know, all right, uh, but the the uh, the problem is is the great that that invisible barrier that one has to go through between the private citizen and the public citizen. Most people grow up all their lives and remain all their lives private citizens, which means they are they are handers out of criticism, and rarely get any. If they do, it's gentle because it's man to man, and so your immediate superior will come and say, you know, uh, Fred, uh, if you could get that out a little bit earlier than we planned, I'd appreciate it. That's general criticism that says get on the stick. Well, uh, showbiz and the performer's world is far more abrupt. Uh, One month, the ratings come in, and you're like uh, King Zog, head of the gypsies. And the next month, your rating comes in, and you're down there competing with the East Orange Police Department. You're way <laughs> you know? Well so so it's very abrupt. Uh and, and furthermore, it's definite. There is no question about it. Uh, absolutely. And so you get up on the stage and you say, A funny thing happened to me on the way down to the limelight. Blah 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 whoopee whoopee wah waba. then silence comes roaring out at you. A couple of people get up and leave. One guy coughs loudly into the ferns. Well uh <laughs> So you, you, to make that transition, to become a public person, is not easy. The ultimate public person, of course, is the public person who goes into the kind of uh, political realm, an area where uh, 85 novelists are writing novels to show that the president is a paranoid schizoid maniac. Uh, I mean, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, where where cartoons appear constantly, where editorials, no matter what. I mean, if the president says, gee, it's raining, immediately 400 pickets start marching, the pro-rain pickets. I say, what do you mean? What's the matter with rain? Uh, And so this is the ultimate, putting it on the line. Not many of us put it on the line. And uh, I suspect one of the reasons why in our world, the performer and the politician has become a kind of folk hero is because increasingly the private man in a great world of automation and faceless cities, increasingly, and incidentally from cradle to grave, uh, security, uh, union regulations, increasingly the private man is immune from personal criticism. And uh, there are many co- companies, many uh trade unions where the guy can arrive drunk, he can run over the foreman with a bulldozer, he can be found with the company funds in his back pocket, and if you open your trap to him, the union is going to have you up in five minutes, and you you know, in short, people are immune to criticism. However, the one group of people who are not only not immune, but are fair game, and uh, it's, it's almost uh, requisite that you do criticize them, are people who are performers or and politicians and so naturally they would have to become a kind of folk hero in our time have you noticed that politicians have been increasingly compared with and have begun to merge with performers showbiz people have you noticed that hurt uh, uh, that that you have you noticed also today that the man most likely to be elected is the most beautiful man physically the one who most looks like uh, Cliff Robertson, uh, <laughs> the one who most looks like an actor. And, uh, and so uh, the, the, these two areas are beginning to merge very, very, very distinctly, very completely. Uh, I wonder about a lot of guys out of the past. You know, people often say, would Lincoln have been elected in the age of television? Yes, I think very much so. Because uh, Lincoln had an resting uh, w- uh, look about him the high cheekbones the burning eyes he would have he would have been a prime man to be elected in our time I would say however that the Cleveland would have died uh, Cleveland the uh, William Howard Taft would never have made it William Howard Taft looks like everybody's uncle Charlie I'm your big fat you know handle bombers, he couldn't conceivably have gone on because he just looks like the kind of guy that gets ahead of you on the line at the horn and hard art and knocks your coffee on your foot. Uh, on the other hand, uh, not so with Lincoln. And so in this day of increasing immunity from personal criticism and personal danger, you will find that the performers and the politicians, their world is becoming increasingly dangerous. Oh, yes. The gulf is widening, and so the the the, uh, the attacks on a president are far greater than they ever were in history, and will continue to be all throughout, as far as we know, in the future. And the attacks on performers are far greater than they ever were. Oh, I mean, absolute phonus uh, uh, balonus, all the way up and down the line. And I suppose uh, uh, that getting on the line is one of the most difficult things to do in a world where getting on the line can be fatal Uh, can be truly fatal because once you destroy a man's ego once you destroy a man's what he is to himself you have effectively destroyed that man and so it's truly fatal in the ultimate philosophical sense hang loose and be sure to continue to wear your false face brave one